you run a risk as a, as a health organization or as a media source. If you call something a pandemic and it doesn't kill enough people, people declare it to be things like fake news. They say that that was overblown. And the problem with all of this, all of our reactions to a pandemic, the problem is if we follow the health advice to the T, it will always seem like the predictions were overblown. And in fact, the predictions are based upon usually, here's what happens if we don't do it. Welcome to the From Quarantine podcast, a weekly dose of dry humor from two Americans living in the heart of Europe, hosted by January Newbanks and Tassie Gibson. Hello. Hi. How are you guys tonight? I'm Good. pretty good. Good. So there is more than one voice speaking back to you tonight, January, because again, we have our friend Dan from the UK joining us. And this Yay. is going to be a really fun episode, interesting, uh, educational, all the words, because Dan <laughs> is going to educate us in the ways of pandemic. Excellent. Hey, ladies, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to it. And thank you for letting me ride on your coattails a little bit. Of all the fame and glory that you generated. All the fame. <laughs> <laughs> so famous now, we can hardly stand it. Amazing. <laughs> Getting calls from my agent. Is it hard daily. sleeping on a bed full of money every night? It is. <laughs> hey, have you guys ever wondered what happens to the paparazzi during quarantine? Ooh, that's a great question. I actually read an article about what's happening to the influencers. I did too, um, yes. <laughs> is that the one where they'll like work for money or I mean work for food oh no this was more they were talking about um like setting up some um gofundme accounts to like pay for their coffee and stuff and they're like guys this is hard for our money and we can't yeah they're seeing all their contracts and free subsidies dry up and it was just really satisfying <laughs> That is so satisfying. <laughs> Sorry, just, yeah, There's a lot of our culture that needs to be just like a, you know, like a dying limb, just cut off and tossed away. And that was one of them. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah. Thank you, COVID, for that. <laughs> It'll come back like the Hydra, though. You know it will. You should do a whole episode on silver linings to COVID. <laughs> that is a good cool. idea. I mean, be, it's, it's very insensitive in a sense. Like, you, yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to. <laughs> But, yeah, you have to be careful with that, but it could yeah, be really do. interesting. Yeah, maybe maybe six months when we kind of see what, what's going to happen. But Yeah, it's true. Um, right now, it kind of feels like maybe a little tone deaf. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, but you know, there's some fun in being tone deaf every now and then. Yeah, but the, it's about the spirit behind it. I think the spirit is to, to consider things so far, maybe, that have been positive or, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So Dan, you were with us, um, gosh, probably three weeks ago already. And at that point, we talked to you just when the UK had closed down things, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I think it was in that first week. Yeah, it was about 48 hours. Down. Yeah. So how is life in quarantine? What's happening um, three weeks? Good question. Later? Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, it's it's hard to describe because I don't have perspective. Uh, I do go into school and supervise some students because I'm a teacher. Um, and you see people out being kind of very active and you know, you've got that social distancing kind of suspicious thing going on where you, you want to be friendly, but not too friendly. Um, but I do keep in contact with a lot of people in the UK. Everyone seems to be doing all right. Um, and it's, it's, it is kind of hard to give a perspective on what life is like. Shops are beginning to reopen a little bit. Uh, deaths in the UK just hit 20,000, which is kind of a milestone. Yeah. We're, still, we're still not at the complete peak yet. So, but there is a, um, kind of over overhearing my neighbors, sorry, neighbors through the window today, but just this really desire to get out of the furlough situation and back to work, which mm -hmm. I completely understand is, is people want some sense of normalcy and, and not knowing. Uh, we don't even have a prime minister. We haven't seen him in weeks and everyone's wondering, where is he? He's supposed to come back to work on Monday. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty and that, that seems to be the most difficult thing for most people. Um, the, people are generally enjoying the time to, to repair their homes and things like that, but the, the uncertainty is the big factor. Not yeah, now. I think it's psychologically difficult on, yeah. on people more, more so than, than I think any of us could have really anticipated. Um, yeah. Just not having lived mm -hmm. with that much uncertainty yeah. previously. Say for me, there's this, it's, you know, if this were a natural disaster, I could go out and help. Yes. If, it was some, if there was something else that wasn't, um, you know, human to human contact spread, I could do something. So there's mm -hmm. this real feeling of inadequacy that, that kind of, in a sense, multiplies uh, the frustration with all of this, which is that I am the problem. I am the threat. I am the carrier potentially. And so I can't yeah. go out and almost do anything. Um, I know that is kind of, that kind of messes with your head, doesn't it? Like when you think about like you could possibly be harming someone else, like in a time like this, like it's very unsettling, I think. Yeah. So I'm just doing kind of what everyone else is doing, which is looking for ways to improve. So generally reading more, uh, but sometimes, you know, you, you set out a, a pie chart of what you want to get done in that day. And, you know, the slice is a lot less than what you think you're going to get done. Um, but um, yeah, just feeling kind of limited. Uh, looking for signs, you know, the, the British generally are, are stiff upper lip, I think kind of holds, um, but looking for signs that maybe that goodwill is starting to fade and people are starting to get a little bit more irritating, not necessarily seeing it, but I'm looking to see when there might be a shift in public attitude. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, but I spent a lot of my time just, I, I wonder myself every day, how much bad news is too much? So you kind of want to look at the news and how much bad news can you absorb? Mm -hmm. And is that good for me? You want to be aware, but you don't want to be, I don't, in a sense, downtrodden by it all. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading a Facebook post um, from a uh, distant in time friend. Um, she was a nurse and she was saying that she wasn't afraid of contracting COVID until she just, she started, she got to like critical mass of like news reading. And then you hear all the outlier stories. So like the person who's 20 has nothing wrong with them um, and just drops dead. Um, all those like the things that are kind of quirky that are going on. Um, and then she just, she, she had like really bad anxiety all of a sudden and started struggling with that and uh, not wanting to go to work, which, you know, previously was something that she really loved. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think we are getting to a point where we really have to ask ourselves, like, how much 
can our little human brains intake every day? Yeah. Uh, how much information can we really digest yeah. in a healthy mm -hmm. way? Like what's being informed and what turns you into Exactly. Permit, you know, <laughs> and it does, you know, more information does feel kind of secure. So, you know, I'm reading these articles about whether it infects the lungs or long term damage on the heart. But then mm -hmm. the more that you ingest that, the more it kind of crushes your soul a little bit and become not human anymore. You just become this ingester of really higher knowledge. So um, trying to balance that out because um, you don't want to be unaware, but uh, you don't want to change your, your personality at a fundamental level, which I think bad news does if I just read it all day long. It does. It's true. So, um, trying to balance that out. Very so, true. Um, yeah. yeah. Spending a lot of time imagining what the world's going to look like. Um, so, trying to read some economic news, trying to read some, you know, keep up with how people are doing socially on a personal level. And yeah, it's, it seems like every day feels full. I don't feel empty. Um, there's always a lot to do. But just, I guess the thing for me being a teacher is wondering what is the long term mental health impact going to be on you know, larger human society or smaller communities in Britain once this mm -hmm. gets over. So if we're back to business, let's say by December in some sort of new way, um, how are people going to cope? Because they weren't coping very good before. <laughs> I know, I know. I was thinking about this with like our grandparents because they were the generation that went from the human race was not able to completely annihilate itself. Like that wasn't a thing that could happen um, when they were born. And then there was there were nuclear weapons um, that came on the scene and suddenly a war could, could possibly escalate, um, could po possibly escalate to a point where human race could annihilate itself off the face of the planet with an act of war. Um, and I thought about just what kind of shift, because we were born with that knowledge, you know, like we sort of Yeah, we lived, under, we lived under that cloud. I had nightmares. Still yeah do. yeah we you know we're practicing like hiding under our desks and people had bomb shelter bunkers in their backyards and um tassie was it you that was talking about how the czechs were learning how to survive in the forest no no that was not me um maybe it was your your student honza who i met um and, or maybe it was Angela, I'm not sure. But like while we were hiding under desks and learning how to, uh, you know, what to do in case of like a bombing or something like that, um, the Czechs were learning uh, forest survival skills because the idea was that they would run away from the capitalists when we got there. Amazing. Yeah, so our generation has like lived with this knowledge that, you know, we could destroy ourselves and now this next generation is kind of going to live under this cloud of like viruses could wipe out the human race and yeah two comments on that like one is that the the word anxiety actually wasn't in even in the british psychological um, bible that they used uh, a number of years ago i think uh, five years ago plus um, but now it's, it's something that my students uh, have adopted and now use and, 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 you know, it's a little bit, uh, chicken and the egg scenario. Like, is it mm -hmm. the fact that we're talking about anxiety that causes them to use the word? But I actually think the latter, like they, the world is much more complex, especially with the demands of social media and having to keep on this, you have this real life you have, but then you have the social life and the rat race. And 
doing that when you're 30 to 40 is just about bearable if you were doing that at the age of 12 and having to maintain an online presence mm-hmm. um, that it, it does cause anxiety and, and, and you know people can't cope yeah. with that or young people can't cope with that but on the other hand I also see that you know with some of the history that we're going to get into through the series hopefully uh, will express the fact that people had to live with outbreaks that routinely killed 20 30 50,000 and they would return year after year after year and somehow people managed to move on and make something of their life. And there is joy and there is discovery during that time and progress. Um, and hopefully we'll hear some from some of the voices of people who had to live under routine, repeated um, outbreaks of various diseases. So, yeah. So Dan, that's actually a great segue into what are you doing here? Why are you talking to us? <laughs> All right. So, um, well, just an overview of the, the project is to discuss pandemic, but uh, yeah, I wanted to go through a series of different pandemics throughout human history. Um, so I guess I'll just talk a little bit, if I'm free to, about what is a pandemic and, and then I'll get into why and, and what. Uh, so the word pandemic comes from the Greek, meaning pan, meaning everything and like pantheon and demos meaning people. Am I, am I correct on that, Tassie? You're the linguist. Okay. Yeah, you are spot on. So, I'm so impressed. Yeah, we all become familiar. By the way, a lot of what I'll discuss, generally, I assume some people might know, some people might not. So, um, but um, so what isn't a pandemic? Now, I kind of want to bring up something like rabies. So, rabies kills a lot of people a year, it's 50,000 worldwide, but it's not a pandemic because it doesn't spread from person to person. So, that is animal to person. Um, and therefore, it doesn't qualify, even though it's kind of global. Uh, that doesn't actually qualify. So to very first thing kind of we need to agree upon is that pandemics, uh, it has to be a human to human transfer to be a pandemic. If it's still kind of in the, okay. the animal to human phase, that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're interested, the WHO actually has a six stage uh, phase description for what a pandemic is. So starting off from everything from phase one, um, whereas, you know, there's nothing effectively all the way to pay to, to stage six, which is a full blown pandemic, which is kind of what we're in now. So just kind of a summary of, of that, but if you Google WHO pandemic phases, you can kind of see the list and it's really fascinating kind of, cause they have plans and contingencies for every stage. So phase- And do you, do you know when the last time they declared a pen- pandemic was like, is that a common um, thing? Or I is think, this- so Ebola doesn't qualify either because, fully because it is, it tends to spike in regions and doesn't spread far and wide and the spikes go down very, very quickly. So as far as I understand, mm-hmm. Ebola is not a pandemic level. It is a very fierce, uh, deadly mm-hmm. epidemic in certain locations. But mm-hmm. I think it would be bird flu, H1N1. Right, the H1N1. Yeah, which is actually okay. the, the death rates. Uh, that qualify to be a pandemic, when we say pandemic, we mean something that spreads, but it's about its spread. It's not its mortality. So yeah, pandemics mm-hmm. that are uh, highly lethal, ones that are not. Mm-hmm. So uh, COVID, COVID obviously counts as something that's more lethal. Something like the Black Death um, would be, uh, you know, a higher, much higher mortality rate. Smallpox would be definitely a pandemic, but it also it's uh, so it's about the spread, not necessarily lethality. Um, but just to kind of summarize the WHO's definition of it, uh, which I like. So phase four is characterized by human to human transmission of an animal or animal. Uh, of an animal disease. So an animal infects a human and then humans can spread it, but it's not sustained 
and it doesn't necessarily transfer from country to country. All right, so phase four is semi-typical, whereas phase five is more of the epidemic phase. It goes to at least, or it goes to two countries maximum. So if it hits the two country phase, that's where we're getting the pre-pandemic. Uh, we're moving from epidemic, which is in one location to pandemic, and then phase six, which is kind of what we're in now is uh, by their definition, at least one, it's in two countries and at least one other country that's in the HWO region. So phase six is kind of what we're in now. Um, and they got actually WHO was, was criticized for calling H1N1 a pandemic in 2009 uh, because it wasn't killing at the rate that people thought it would be. <laughs> Isn't that kind of dark? That is dark. Um, but it has to do again. That is dark. Yes, it's like we demand that it be taken down. But the fact that um, it, it, its infection rate is what qualifies as a pandemic. So yeah. they were in a sense justified in their definition, even though not that many people were killed. But you run a risk as a, as a health organization or as a media source. If you call something a pandemic and it doesn't kill enough people, people declare it to be things like fake news. They say that that was overblown. And the problem with all of this, all of our reactions to a pandemic, the problem is if we follow the health advice to the T, it will always seem like the predictions were overblown when in fact the predictions are based upon usually here's what happens if we don't do anything i've been yeah. reading about that because um specifically in central and eastern europe the numbers have been um much lower than were expected um and yeah that's one of the things that people are critiquing but that's because we did yeah. what they said <laughs> um which is really interesting that humans are like Show me more That's blood. Right. That's right. <laughs> so the diseases that we'll be talking about um, are they they move from the word is uh, zoonotic. All right. So zo with the word zoo, z o o n o t i c, uh, easily passable from animal to human, and then some of those become passable from human to human. All right. So zoonotic is what we're talking about, mm -hmm. um, and then that is what causes a pandemic. So, uh, any questions you guys want to bring up? No, that makes complete sense. I just, real quick on that, uh, on the animal passage to humans. So, what I've been reading is when that happens, when a virus, specifically virus, but I'm sure bacterial infections, um, make that leap, then it tends to be worse, right? Is that kind of like the general consensus? Yep because it wasn't designed for human hosts. Yeah. So then it kind of affects us in a in Yeah, a well, it's all way. different. I mean, you've got, it's different in their lethality and it's also different in, in how easily they are to be spread. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, like rabies mm -hmm. infects a human, but then it doesn't have human to human transmission. Uh, and some have human to human transmission and are highly lethal, but then like Ebola, the outbreaks do not go global in a way, or we're able to control them. Right, because it kills so yeah, quickly that right. you don't but really it, multiply It has to the do host. with the size yeah. of the droplets, how quickly it can be spread. And we were seeing signs of COVID, even when you're, if you're outdoors and you're running two meters away from somebody or six feet, that, that you're well within the range of getting it. And sometimes, you know, some studies showing that it stays in the air for a considerable amount of time. So we're, we're dealing with a disease like coronavirus where it's, it, the lethality is actually quite low, but the respondents to spread is unusually high. Um, but mm -hmm. we're also- And the gestation period is so long, like before it's, you're symptomatic. Insane. So, yeah. um, so it makes it really difficult to put any sort of control measures out because, you know, 
we don't we don't know so much about this virus, but one of the things is how long people can hold it in their bodies before they become symptomatic. Yeah, it's like pick your poison, like Black Death, depending on if you had the septicemic or the bubonic or the pneumonic version, like you'd see results very quickly. Sometimes within 48 hours, someone would die. So you could easily <laughs> brick people up in their homes. Um, but the nature of this being very easily spread, but also asymptomatic is really, really troubling. Um, and then on top of that, there's the, the fact that viruses mutate very simply. Uh, a lot of those mutations will not have a negative effect on humans. Some of those mutations will actually kill the virus themselves. They can mutate themselves out of, you know, existence effectively. Yeah. But, but we're looking at early reports saying upwards of 20 different versions of slightly different versions of, of coronavirus already. Um, and I, I think okay. everything we talk about on this, on this podcast regarding corona will be fairly invalid in about a year. Yeah. Um, our knowledge of viruses and what they are is so incredibly at its infancy right now. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know far outweighs what we know about um, a lot of things. I mean, including the fact that we know there are billions of viruses. We, we've only identified a small portion of them, um, let alone what they do. And, and even on the, the positive impacts of, of what viruses bring, we know a lot about the negative on some of them, but we don't actually, we haven't worked out how they positively affect and how that all connects as well as we'd like to. So. A lot to learn. There's a lot to learn. So much to learn. So, Dan, we know that pandemics have been with us as long as there have been humans. Um, so, and we've heard that term like in history class. Um, so, take us through like when we started recording what was happening and how bad it was and some of those major ones. Like, everyone knows the Black Plague. If you say the Black Plague, we kind of have an idea. But take us through some of the other ones that um, had a global impact. and maybe Yeah, well, I'll take you through what I'd like to talk about on the podcast, um, the episodes. That's what I've set out. Uh, if there are others that people want to talk about and or would like me to, to rattle on about, feel free to, to send in an email or something, and then I'll, I'll consider it. Um, but obviously, the, the Black Death in, um, in 1347 to 1353, uh, 14th century, kind of the, the big one, uh, I'd like to talk about that. I know a lot about it. I teach a lot about it. It's been a, a source of obsession of mine for a long time. So that one, uh, the smallpox outbreaks in throughout all of human history, I'd like to kind of do a kind of a global tour of smallpox, especially in the 18th century. And most people don't know, they think smallpox and you get, you know, like chicken pox, like you get bumps on your face, some people die, some people don't. But we're talking estimated death rates of 300 to 400,000 Europeans a year. Um, lots of monarchs, emperors of Japan, all around the planet, we're looking at a, what would clearly be a pandemic every single year returning and 3% mortality rate. And most people in their lifetime would become infected with smallpox at some point. Yeah, one of the most interesting things um, I read was that when the gentry were looking to hire someone, um, you actually had a better chance of being a maid or a house servant if you had a really marked Absolutely. up face because they knew that you had had it and that you survived it, um, which is kind of weird because you wouldn't think that being marked would, would get you a job. It's absolutely Apparently fascinating, yeah. So I'd like to do an episode on smallpox and talk about that. Uh, another one that's really kind of close to my heart, if I can say that, is cholera, uh, which is still with us, unfortunately. Smallpox is, is declared kind of eradicated, uh, I think in 1982. But cholera, which is still with us in third world situations, um, it's a very, very different type of disease and one that 
is um, would would basically kill you in a number of hours. You could die in four hours. It's a very famous, if you Google cholera um, uh, illustration blue, you'll find it. You see a picture of a woman who had cholera and you can see her kind of getting sick, but within four hours she turns blue and dies. So I want to connect that to public health improvements and civil unrest in Europe and, and talk about that. But I'll talk about the cholera outbreak in the 1850s. So that's the one that, 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 that is responsible, I think, for the most change. But it's a really a disease that I don't know if you want to die from it or not. It's, it's very merciful in the sense that you're gone, but the way that you die is, is horrific. Um, and then the Spanish flu in 1918, 1917 to 1920, with its 50 to 100 million dead, um, is also one that I would like to discuss. And I thought that I would uh, also get into syphilis, which most people don't think about as a pandemic, but we're talking about millions of deaths over time and also... Um, really, really widely spread. We don't think of syphilis, like if someone got syphilis and they tell you, you'd say, oh, that's, that sounds like a very Victorian disease. But they, um, some studies have shown that eight to 10% of the population in the 18th century had it, uh, including- Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. It's true. There's a whole story about the, the syphilis itself, including like this myth that it came from um, Native Americans and passed to Europeans, when in fact that's not true. So there's, there's a lot of, like each one of these, it's a mystery where you have the myths. Um, and they all have names like um, connected to countries. So you have xenophobia popping up everywhere. Lots of diseases were named Asian flus throughout history and then syphilis had the term the French disease. So a little bit of uh, European banter going on there. Well, I think it's interesting because um, there are certain climates which are just more nourishing to viruses. Yes? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, like, we can blame it. On, on... Well, there's a reason why when you go to Southeast Asia, you have to get a bunch of extra shots. You know, yeah. You get dengue fever and yellow fever and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I would like to do to end the series, um, what I do is to talk about the um, what happened when Europeans met Native Americans and the 90 to 95% of them wiped out by what was a combination of measles and smallpox. Um, so just because it's, it's very easily forgotten um, because we know a lot less about it because they're pretty literate societies, but yeah. So those are the ones that I want. Obviously if there's, if there's a demand for something else, there's, there's a lot more to talk about, but I think that's a nice little group of about six. I was doing some reading on the measles and I think it really impressed upon me how short our memories are, like how we forget um, within a generation how deadly or destructive something was, um, like the anti-vaccine movement post-1990s, so in the 2000s, and not getting the MMR shot because of the, the one solidly debunked report that it could give your child autism. Amazing. And uh, mm -hmm. so like, we've almost brought measles back. I know, and within, that's the crazy thing is like, my grandparents' generation would have experienced that as, as a pandemic of childhood. Yeah, illness. it's really um, fascinating how, how quickly we forget exactly how devastating. Or polio, nobody talks about polio. That was happening yeah, in the 50s. Yeah, it's still hasn't yeah. been declared as eradicated, right? Like it's still in the it's developing most, world. It's, oh, it's, it's yeah, well, it was pretty damn near close until the one report that said that vaccines cause autism came out and now we're seeing it emerge in little bits, yeah. But you know, the, the last outbreak of the Black Death was just a little over a hundred years ago and it killed in, in India alone 12 and a half million in China 
um, hundreds and hundreds of thousands. We're not that far away. We're a little over I 100. I thought I read that there was an outbreak in Madagascar that killed like 700 people in... Yes, um, I mean, Black Death is interesting in the sense that if you go walking in, in parts of the United States and rural areas and get bit by small mammals, you can still pick it up today. It exists in the ground. Yeah. It, it's still very much alive, but you need a confluence of factors in order to kind of see a pandemic outbreak, but we'll talk about that in episode one. Yeah. Yeah. Black Death is fascinating. It is um, absolutely fascinating. Just, yeah, just the longevity of that disease and how much of history it colors. Like it's... Um, and, and how little we and how much the uh, knowledge around it has changed. If, I, if we were doing this 10 years ago, about half of what we'd say about the Black Death would be wrong. Um, and crazy. 10 years from now, about 10 years from now, half of what I say about the Black Death will be wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but we'll get into that next time. Yeah. Wow, Dan, I am super pumped. This is going to be so that's, interesting. It's, it's a little bit disturbing that you're so pumped about this deep <laughs> dive. <laughs> This baptism of absolute misery. Uh, it is a baptism of misery. It's all the good stuff. It's very Tassie-esque. <laughs> you know, there is history. There's misery. Think of that garbage song. I'm only happy when it rains. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I'm a teenage baby. Let me talk about why this is happening. Um, so why, you know, what is the reason for talking about pandemics? And yes. obviously the first point would be, uh, we're in one right now. Uh, so it seems an appropriate time. I've always, kind of, I've, always, yeah, I've always wanted to do this, but this is almost like, you know, fate's pushing towards this way. Um, but we're here to provide some perspective. And I think perspective is comforting when you know mm -hmm. that somebody's been through stuff and know that the, this, this idea of epidemics is as long as human civilization. The minute humans discovered agriculture and begin writing down laws and forming communities and, and societies together and attempted mm -hmm. to live together. We've always had this. Um, yeah. So, but in addition to pr perspective, it'll also be hopefully a little bit entertaining. We'll make you laugh. Um, but the, for me, as somebody who is a lover of history and a history enthusiast, um, pandemics are interesting because they provide a shock to an, a world system that normally doesn't happen. A couple of things do that, like weather patterns can do that. But mm -hmm. pandemics put stress on a system that is normally has flaws in it, but can self-repair and they make it so that that can't happen. Yeah. Um, so, and we're seeing that, I mean, the most obvious example we're seeing right now is we've, we've been, our, our, our global economy is built on, has for the past maybe 30 years, just in time manufacturing and just in time supply chain delivery, where you produce a right. week or two before and deliver just on time that you, it's something you need to sell the next day based upon sales figures. And we're now seeing what happens when your whole supply chain is based upon that and things aren't being shipped at the rate they are produced. Um, so we have a system and now we have a shock and we're gonna see the fallout from that. But um, yeah, there, there are four major impacts that we can expect to see based upon prior pandemics. Although I'm not the biggest fan, I'm sure you've always been taught by your history teachers that uh, those who don't study history are condemned or repeated. I don't, I don't really necessarily believe that um, just because history looks different at every time. Like mm -hmm. if you study, if you study German fascism to try to understand what might be a fascist swing and what's happening in a lot of Europe, so you're going to be a little bit disappointed because that was German fascism. It looked different than it's going to look yeah. now. 
but I would say that there is a there's a comfort and understanding and in, in the study of history looking at these pandemics does give you a broader view that the study of history gives you more options um, when you find people who have very little knowledge about the past or who they are their choices are very limited and they feel confined so hopefully through this we will um, have a, a few more options and a little bit more perspective and I love that that's yeah. such a good like way to frame it yeah yeah so um, the four impacts that we've seen in the past are when, when there's a pandemic these four reactions are a nationalism and xenophobia and if those words are um, odd to you nationalism just means kind of patriotism but in a hyper so patriotism is good I think if you're not a patriot you can't say five good things about your country you've got some you, you need to see a therapist but nationalism where you begin to in a sense uh, denigrate or look at other countries and, and put them down or xenophobia which is the um, I don't know, the kind of fear of, of aliens or immigrants. You see mm -hmm. that happening with most, with most pandemics. You also see some social upheaval and civil unrest inside of the country. Um, political radicalization where politics um, can't work together. You see political parties not being able to, to maybe it's, it's paralyzed is a good way to put it, is political paralyzation. But then paradoxically, when, when all of this is over, you also see more efforts from countries to work together because what we have is a global problem. Mm -hmm. COVID is not an American problem or a British problem or a Czech problem. It is something yep. that's gonna be with us for many, many years. And if there's not interconnectedness, yeah. um, there is no solution. Um, so true. hopefully that's a silver lining is that we, we actually see more cooperation after this kind of shared bit of grief we've been through. Yeah, I was actually listening to um, Sam Harris's podcast, uh, Making Sense, and one of his more recent episodes, um, he was talking about the future and just this is the first pandemic that we've gone through as like a globally connected society in terms of like air travel um, and, and really just supply chains all over the world. Uh, like we're seeing the the holes in uh, in how like the weak the weak points of supply chains all over the world where things are manufactured how we get those to to the people in general how we distribute things you know like toilet paper is another example of a supply chain that just is not set up for any sort of flex at all. No elasticity. Um, yeah. So, um, but one of the things that I thought was interesting, is he was wondering if, if it was possible for the world to cooperate enough to have like a switch that you can flip and we, the whole world goes into like pandemic shutdown mode. Um, so it would require cooperation from literally every nation. Um, and uh, that, I thought that was kind of an interesting question. Like, could that actually happen? that um, we had enough cooperation between nation states that we could shut something down quickly enough to keep the I think, spread. I think the question to ask is, what is the pain threshold for that to happen? Yep. Because we, I think, I think as you're saying that, we're all kind of laughing to ourselves, thinking we know, we know our fellow countrymen, we know ourselves enough to know that we're, we're kind of driven to primal instincts when things get bad. But the, the 1918 um, Spanish flu, which started in America, um, you know, when you have 50 to 100 million deaths right after a global war that killed 20 million people and injured about 60 million, when you have that much trauma 
mm-hmm. uh, kind of condensed into a four to five year period that actually resulted in a lot of, well, some openness, at least with the health organizations to working together and people supporting a global response to health um, and a kind of a new world order. So there is some hope in that, but it's just how bad does the pain have to get? It was interesting because like he was saying, you know, just like the pandemics um, show on Netflix uh, that, that these types of pandemics have been you know, like we, it's, we've been living on borrowed time, essentially. Um, that these have been talked about, anticipated, um, and now it's finally happened. And that in a way, I don't know if I'll be saying this a year from now, but in a way, um, there's kind of a consensus that we maybe got a little bit lucky with COVID-19, that it's not Ebola or something that is, you know, just widely destructive, the bubonic plague or, um, these diseases where you die very quickly, it spreads very quickly. Um, and could this be, could we use this? Like, do you think that humans can cooperate enough at this point in history to use this as a trial run for quote unquote, the big one, one that's much more deadly, much more quickly spread? Um, like, what can we learn from this? Can we put it in action? And are our political leaders people who can actually lead us or not even leaders that inspire but leaders that Mm -hmm. listen like that's been a theme that you and I have talked about on the podcast that we don't have to like the leaders but we are giving them props for listening to the experts early on in Ohio for example Um, yeah neither one of us are Mike DeWine fans neither one of us voted for him but I think we both had like really good things to say about his response to yeah, definitely is highlighting the necessity mm-hmm. of, of quality leadership, but also, um, you know, you have this battle going on between science and fake news. That's it's really a battle for the hearts and minds of everybody, and and that's that's another battle to watch that unfolds. Okay, so we can process scientific information on a cerebral level, but it still not permeate our emotional like gut instincts once we've heard little rumors chirping in our ears about something being bad for us or something going to hurt us or the boogeyman um that our boogeyman instincts are always going to kind of override that science part of our brain unless we make a concerted effort to to set it aside right well there's that great um strip by the oatmeal where he kind of takes you through that um human ability to have cognitive cognitive dissidence where mm-hmm. we go yeah i know that you're telling me this but this doesn't jive that's right with and the more evidence you give so the more I'm entrenched their disagreement will be um yeah the reptilian brain which is the stem that comes up from our spine and you know we obviously have the mammalian brain the neocortex but the reptilian brain which cares about what reproduction food and flight uh is incredibly powerful and especially in times of crisis but hell even at the bar (laughs) two drinks two drinks in you and all of a sudden you're you're acting like a a reptile so yeah so it's us waging war against our primal instincts so yeah that's that's crazy how our brains work humans we're so fun love them it's not frustrating at all (laughs) totally not (laughs) 
<laughs> so Dan, um, I think that you have taken us through quite a lot of information that I'm looking forward to. I can't um, wait for us to get so much more. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else that you want to leave us with? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd just like to go over a few caveats. I know Jan's not too interested in this, but I definitely, <laughs> I just wanted, I, I just a few other things to say. So the objectives, as I kind of stated before, would be just to have a fun, interesting, entertaining journey throughout the kind of the history of pandemics and specifically looking at a little bit about what the pandemic is and the death toll, but looking at what I find absolutely captivating, which is the human responses. How did people, what did they think caused it? How did they try to prevent it? How did they try to treat it? And then if we can, this is the hardest part as a researcher, but what was their response afterwards? How quickly did society recover? How did it change? What were the short and long-term effects? So yeah, I think that's, that's kind the of the most what, interesting part, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I know that that's something that's been being discussed um, a lot. And my friend Tara actually sent me um, a link about this. We were talking about this idea of comparing countries' responses. Mm -hmm and people saying this country did it better or this country did it worse and that this will be a debate is that, that pandemic envy be for the next <laughs> um, my outbreak is bigger than your outbreak my outbreak <laughs> um it's it's interesting because yeah as a historian looking back then you can you have weights and measures and blah 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 um but it is really hard in the midst to to compare things and plus that that's yeah and, podcast and people with an really agenda are looking at um, any sort of exception to what's happening so i know sweden's being talked about a lot because they've yeah. foregone in a whole lot of these social distancing rules and we're looking to see i mean there's a lot of people on one side of the political spectrum that are hoping that they prove everyone wrong and that the shutting down the economy was something that didn't need to happen mm -hmm. um yeah there's this, that's that's all part of it um, yeah i think if i hear like one more person misuse herd immunity i might explode <laughs> yeah well they can go ahead and try it i want to see you know i would like these people to be brave enough to go out and get infected <laughs> with 10 types of covid they need to take a worldwide tour collect every COVID piece they have and they win the prize of being the person that gets to talk about from their deathbed um why we're right so yeah go please go demonstrate herd immunity get on that um so so a couple more caveats um i'm a history teacher and been talking about pandemics a lot i'm also a, an enthusiast who's been obsessed with these sort of things whether it's mass outbreaks zombie apocalypses uh anything having to do with how do humans react when things kind of fall apart and people start start dropping off um so we'll be talking about that but that's kind of where i'm coming from um so but just keep in mind as we go through this a lot of these examples and reactions um we're gonna have to narrow it down so we'll be talking a lot about england and europe i apologize it's just for the fact that i don't have the time to research a, a global kind of perspective on a lot of these and depending on what you're looking at what nation even when it comes mm -hmm. to like death, france's reaction and it can be very different and then you have because the society is different you have different extremes of reaction from people so if i say something that that you could find an exception to there will be many exceptions and counter examples to every sort of reaction there's going to be another situation in another country so i'll be sure. I'll be but i'll be sure to point out this is coming from this um point of the world at this time well and i think you have the advantage and disadvantage of being in the uk because so much research comes out of the UK, so much yeah. information 
but, documentaries, research mm-hmm. papers. Yeah. Um, so like, which is amazing because there's a flood of information. But when I've looked for a, just in relatively other historical things, and I'm like, oh, what was happening here in Czech Republic, for yeah. example, at that time period, you go to look for something and you're like, oh, yeah. no yeah. information. And, a lot of stuff, <laughs> and, and people don't know this about historians. It's easy that you like, you could actually become a historian of the Black Death in Italy during like a, a six month period and spend your entire yeah. life. That's what, that's that's the natural end goal of all of historical studies. It gets super narrow. And some people will even specialize in one town, spend their entire life studying this. So I will be nitpicking, not nitpicking, picking and choosing about what countries and then what outbreaks. Because uh, the Black Death in 1947, 48, actually there's recurring outbreaks too that go on. So all that to say, um, whatever I say, there's going to be counterexamples and different exceptions to that. On top of that, the science is changing radically, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. There are things that we thought about the Black Death even five years ago that now have been ruled out by uh, a, a range of different disciplines like archaeology, epidemiology, bacteriology, archaeology. All these yeah. things come back and tell us a different story I, and change the narrative. Yeah, I can't wait for you to get into like the spread because... Um, I don't want to talk about it now. Keep it a secret, Dan. But um, I know that I've read like where we thought it came from. The rats getting the bad rap. It's in not the whole, the whole story. story. Nor, nor is the Mongols, at the, at, you know, spreading it with diseased bodies, really the whole story. But um, when it comes down to it, I mean, we're down, everyone agrees upon three different versions of the Black Death. But we, if you read the fringes of historical study, we're up to maybe five different versions going at the same time. So um yeah cool so um dan what i love most about us doing a podcast about pandemics and death is that your nickname when we were all together in texas was the prophet of doom that's fake news tassie okay (laughs) (laughs) you've been spreading it since the beginning Oh. It, was the, it was the prophet of doom because I was obsessed with this stuff. And it's specifically at that time, I was convinced that nuclear war would break out within the next six months. So I told everyone that. Just Man, I loved 18 year old Dan. 18 year old Dan was a trip. He was, he, was, he was a mess. No, he was awesome. Thank you. Dan, you had this like, this. Well, no, I was going to say you had this hard exterior and this squishy interior, but you were just... I have, I'm here squished. I'm still squished today. I love yeah. it. Um, I know. Big time. Big time. It's true. Um, You're like a celebrity in my house because um, you helped Lucy put together her American Girl doll locker. Oh, that's awesome. And she like, now every single time your name comes up, she's like, he is so nice. He helped me put together my American Girl doll locker. It's so cute. Can we strike that off the record? <laughs> I've got a reputation uphold. I know, I know. Yeah, my students, my students are terrified of me in year seven and eight and nine, and they realize I'm just a big softie, and I lose that kind of uh, that advantage of psychological domination. Yeah, yeah. You got to fake it till you make it. Uh, the last thing I'd like to say, two other things, is that um, I'm going to be plugging a charity going forward on all these episodes. And if you liked what you heard, if you feel like it was worth your time or you laughed or you learned something, please donate um, to Refugee Action. So the website is www.refugee, that's R-E-F-U-G-E-E, dash action, A-C-T-I-O-N.org.uk. So even if in the US, you can pay via PayPal. And if you could check them 
a dollar, a couple dollars, or a couple quid, or whatever denomination you're using, um, that would help. They help to uh, resettle those that have um, made it to the UK, refugees in survival war-torn conflicts, and they help to educate, find them jobs, and the people that have been, everyone suffered under this pandemic. Um, people have yeah. lost jobs and stuff, but, but there's no one more vulnerable than somebody who has been displaced from their home, uh, from persecution, um, disruption in their society, and, and now has to set up in a yeah, new definitely. place under these conditions. So I can confidently say that um, they're doing worse than you. So again, if you feel like what you heard was, was worth it, and um, give, them, give them some cash. Here, here. Excellent. Well, Dan, we are so looking forward to this. Um, and plus, I can't believe I'm going to get to hear your voice every couple of weeks as we, ah, I love it. Um, so thank you so much for being on January. Thank you for all the technical support and everything that you do. Um, I wouldn't be alive without you. (laughs) And I'm... I know. Yeah, January's already sent me lots of Marco Polos of her singing how much she loves me. I'm gonna keep those. Get a room, you two. <laughs> Can I make one final plug? Just yeah, I, I wanted to at the end of every episode, just because we say read the show notes. I'm assuming most people don't. Um, just a couple of books if you wanted to pursue uh, your if you're in love with this um, topic like I am. If you want to pursue it, so the first one is a book called The Viral Storm by Nathan Wolf, that's W-O-L-F-E, very readable introduction into the depths of kind of uh, different pandemics across history. Uh, The very classic book called Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond, uh, which I cannot recommend highly enough. You'll probably get it used on Amazon for about a buck, Uh, but that is a really, really good, if you ever ask yourself, why have Europeans dominated the world for the last 500 years, basically, that book gives you a not a shallow answer, but an ease, an easier to process answer that makes sense, um, but then goes in further in depth. And the last, there was a documentary. documentary. So you can watch that too. I'm sure it's on YouTube or you can find it. Um, It's great. I really like Jared Diamond's synthesis. And um, he's one of those um, really brilliant people who knows how to talk at a very basic level. So even if your education isn't deep, you can, you can process it. And the last is, if you're interested to know how this podcast is going to put, or I'm sorry, not this podcast, this pandemic that we're in now is going to potentially affect us politically and economically, there's a great interview on um, the Tides of History podcast. It's the most recent one. It's an interview with a guy called Mike Duncan. And Mike Duncan has done the Revolutions podcast for about the last 10 years. And he's gone through every glo- every human revolution, everything from the French Revolution to the American to everything that you could think of systematically. I think he's got a couple hundred episodes. The guy's, the guy's pretty smart. But it's an interview with him about what is the connection between podcasts and revolutions. So if you're wondering how this is going to uh, potentially affect us politically going forward around the Wait, world. Wait, podcasts and revolutions or pandemics you mean and revolutions? Say that again. I just got that. Did I say podcasts and revolutions? Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> brain did. is a little fried. Uh, the, the t- I'll start from the beginning. Yeah. The title is Tides of History is the name of the podcast. The title of the episode is Pandemics, Revolutions, and COVID-19. 
it's a very easy listen. It's about a little over an hour discussion, but it is a, a way to look at what we're going through from somebody who understands human revolutions and revolutionary movements and knows how to talk and uh, uh, their conversation to me is fascinating. So. I'm putting that It's on good. My uh, Tides of History is a big plug too. They are very unique in, in what they produce. It's like nothing else. So I love history podcasts. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy that we're making a little mini one. Woo! <laughs> Same. Does anybody have a moment of calm? Uh, no, I don't have a moment I of do. calm. <laughs> Yay! Um, so a moment of calm for tonight. A little bit of humor. The quote is, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. And that's Woody Allen. Oh. <laughs> the bigger question no. is, would you like to know? So are you the fan of, of knowing the date of your death? No. Oh, me, no. yes, totally. Bring no. it on. No, man. No, no, no. <laughs> I've been re-watching re Scrubs. Um, oh. because, Are you okay, Tassie? That, that sounds like a cry I, for help if there ever was one. No, because I have a lifelong love of Zach Braff. Zach Braff, if you're listening, I'll have your babies. I couldn't um, even watch that show the first time and, through. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is like my eighth time watching it. I love that show. But, um... But I'm saying all that to say that I watched the episode uh, yesterday or the day before, um, and it was very much about someone coming to terms with they knew that the end was within 24 hours, and so the doctors are sitting there and having a beer with the guy, sneaks a beer into his hospital room. Um, and I love that they can do comedy and serious material in one show. Um, but it was really interesting because that was kind of the question. Like, if you know it's the end, what are you going to say and how are you going to deal with it? And they kind of go through these five stages of grief. And then they're like, and then it comes to acceptance. And the guy just freaks out. And he's like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel like that's how I'd be. I'd be like, I'm fine with it. I'm not. So well, everything in your brain tells you like not to be okay with it, right? Like your lizard brain right, rises right. up and says, must survive. What is it about the Braffmeister that you like, Tassie? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Is it just that lizard brain? <laughs> it is. Um, it's the hair and it's the intelligence and- You generally don't, don't know. know. This is a primal thing. <laughs> I know, I just, but always, like from the minute he was on TV, I was like, I love that man. All right. never Jan, I, in the Jan I think uh, next birthday, I think we're going to conspire to get Tassie a body pillow with Zach Brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That or like a cardboard cutout. Yeah. I saw, because I follow him on Instagram as well, I saw that he has um, bed sheets that have his head on it. Yeah. You know how you can make like socks and bed sheets? Or maybe it's his girlfriend that has the bed sheets. I don't know, but he had a picture of them on his What a self-obsessed, like, you know. Oh my God. It's like you can get those sheets of like your dog, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, I just have Zach Braff on my bed sheets. Then I would never find. You'd never leave the house. <laughs> <a> boyfriend. <laughs> Between the dog and the Zach Braff bed sheets, I would be condemned to be alone. Next time I see you, you're going to have a beard. <laughs> oh, man. Man, if, if we're taking requests for cardboard cutouts, I would take one of Idris Elba, please. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Dan, you know what? You, you know you want one of Idris Elba. 
<laughs> I'm totally, absolutely. <laughs> this reminds me of our secret conversation about hot politicians. Yes. Maybe, th maybe that will be the introduction to the next podcast, Dan, before we talk about the Black Death. Oh, no, that'll be the moment of calm. <laughs> moment of calm. <laughs> Who's a fan of Justin Trudeau? Yeah, no, the moment of calm should be you two rattling off about your, your hotties, your political hotties. <laughs> political hotties. I like how Nicole's response, if, for those of you listening, Nicole's Dan's wife. Nicole's response was, Dan. And I would just like to put out oh. that that is cheating because Dan is not a political leader in any sort of way. And if he was, I would be scared for that country. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I'm calling you and you're cheating, Nikki. Come up with a list. Yeah, Raise the game. We'll end with Nicole as the moment of call. Yes. <laughs> awesome. All right, you guys, go get some sleep. I love your faces. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, looking you forward too. to it. Talk to you soon, Dan. All right, you ladies, super cool. Can't wait for it. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of From Quarantine. We are live on all platforms, so you can find us on everything from the big guys like Apple Podcasts and Spotify to your favorite podcast apps. You can get updates on our episodes on Instagram, just search for From Quarantine, and you can find our full show notes on our website, quarantine.cz. We would love it if you would like and share our episodes with your friends. But if you could also take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that would help us out tremendously. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by the coronavirus outbreak. Live together. Dialogue. All right, so you're always last. That's how we put it in Good. this scenario so that you can kind of remember it. Because, you know, you're not as important as us. That's the message. That's solid. <laughs> I'm, I'm very fine with that. <laughs>